We're excited to announce that our very own podcasting platform, Zencaster, has become a new sponsor to the show. Check out the podcast discount link in our show notes and stay tuned for why we love using Zen for the podcast. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Hello out there in uh, archaeology podcast land. This is Dr. Alan Garfinkel. I'm the president and founder of the California Rock Art Foundation. And what we do is we identify, evaluate, manage and conserve rock art both in Alta, California and in Baja, California. We conduct field trips, we have trainings, exercise, we do research, and in every way possible, we try to preserve, protect, and coordinate treasures of Alta and Baja California rock art, of which there are many and diverse. We also work closely with Native Americans and uh, partner with them to recognize and protect sacred sites. So for more info about the fabulous California Rock Art Foundation, you can go to carockart.org. Also, I'm, I'm open to give me a call, 805-312-2261. We would uh, welcome sponsorship or underwriting, uh, helping us to defray the costs of our podcasts, and also membership in California Rock Art Foundation. And of course, donations, since we are a 501c3 nonprofit scientific and educational corporation. God bless everyone out there in podcast land. You're listening to the Rock Art Podcast. Join us every week for fascinating tales of rock art, adventure, and archaeology. Find our contact info in the show notes and send us your suggestions. Hello out there in archaeology podcast land. This is your host, Dr. Alan Garfinkel. For your 49th episode at the Rock Art Podcast, we'll be hearing Carrie Crutcher, Executive Director of the Ridgecrest Convention and Visitors Bureau, talking about the Ridgecrest Petroglyph Festival, the one and only Petroglyph Festival in the world. You don't want to miss this one. Hello out there in archaeology podcast land, host for the 49th episode of the Rock Art Podcast, and we are absolutely blessed to have Carrie Crutcher, who's the executive director of the Ridgecrest Convention and Visitors Bureau, who of course has the uh, honor of being the host and also the developer of, I think, one of the world's only petroglyph festival. Carrie, are you there? I'm here. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> it's uh, quite an honor. And <laughs> I believe you're the, we're the only uh, petroglyph festival rock art festival that I'm aware of. When I say rock art, I don't mean rock and roll art. <laughs> I mean, I mean, rock drawings, prehistoric rock drawings, festival in the world. Do you know of any others? No, I'm with you. I'm not aware of any other festivals of this nature. Yeah. So it's pretty, it's pretty unique and it's a lot of fun. Pretty unusual. Mm -hmm. So the opening question for the first segment, of course, is always, how'd you ever get involved with this interesting and enigmatic, mysterious <laughs> festival and the uh, Ridgecrest Convention and Visitors Bureau itself. Maybe tell people a bit about your own personal background and then mention maybe something about Ridgecrest as well. Sure. I grew up mostly here in Ridgecrest and I do not have a background in archaeology, which you know, or anything like that. I actually have a background in event coordinating. And so I met my predecessor, the prior executive director, just kind of 
you know, I don't know, coincidentally um, at the bank and we started talking and I mentioned that I was an event coordinator and the Visitors Bureau and Festival were in need. So the rest is kind of history. So I came on here with the Visitors Bureau, um, mainly doing events and marketing and then just immersed myself in the Petroglyph Festival and just started making connections with you and others like you and just started taking it in. What brought you to Ridgecrest to begin with? Because Ridgecrest, for those who um, may not know, is a a rather unusual place. (laughs) Yeah. So my family originally is from the L.A. area. And in the 90s, my grandfather retired from the L.A. area And he and my uncle moved up here to open a business and Mm -hmm. then slowly but surely the rest of the family kind of migrated. So I'm actually now one of the last survivors, if you will. Everyone else has moved kind of back to L.A. or beyond. So I'm still here. My husband joined the military and so we kind of lived abroad for a while. And then when we started having kids, we came back to Ridgecrest. It's It's a nice small town. And everyone says a good place to raise your kids. And that was definitely the story for us. So here we are 15 years later. It's home. So so Ridgecrest, of course, is on the very edge of the what's called the Great Basin, the Desert West. Mm-hmm. You're in the Western Mojave Desert. You're in a place called Indian Wells Valley. And uh, Ridgecrest is... It's certainly not a bustling metropolis. <laughs> we, you have how many people that live there? We have about, tw- I believe the population here in the Indian Wells Valley is about 33,000. So it's rather modest. Then, very modest. But it does have some very amazing and signature elements to it. And mm-hmm. what might those be? So, Well... We have excessive heat and wind. I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> amazing, yes, you do. Yes. <laughs> amazing sun sunsets and sunrises. Yep. yep. You, you have some of the most spectacular clouds in the oh, world. Yeah. People come there to see the clouds. Yeah. It's the beauty is everywhere. Not everyone appreciates the beauty of the desert, but we sure do. No, we are. We're fairly isolated. There's not another city within maybe a 90 mile radius. We are linked to a Navy base that's out here. And you're on the eastern skirt of the yes. far southern Sierra Nevada. The, yes. And it's and it's and you just have a incredible views of of the uh escarpment of the Sierra. And uh, in some years, the place is just spectacular, both for sunsets, sunrises, the beauty of the sky in terms of the clouds, and also the wildflower displays are amazing. Absolutely. In the spring, the wildflowers are beautiful all year round when I say the sunsets, but when the sun gets just behind the mountains, the eastern Sierras right there, it's just incredible. So yeah, definitely something that you should see. I call it the God shots where you have those incredible beams of light that stre- stream up and the yep. clouds are just magnificent and et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. So that's the landscape and yes. the environment, of course, is rather simple. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the desert. So it's a kind of a homogenous, in some sense, creosote bush scrub. But we have, we have uh, Joshua trees also on occasion. The elevation's about what, 3,000 or so? It's about 2,500. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. But you are ensconced, you're adjacent to a military base. Exactly. And what yes. is that? Why is that important? So, well, for several reasons. For the purpose of, I think, our conversation today, though, China Lake Naval Weapons Center is the base that's here kind of neighboring and in conjunction with Ridgecrest. The city popped up in, after the base started here in the 1940s. There were efforts here that were supporting World War II. And so um, back in the day, Ridgecrest and China Lake was known as the secret city. And we still kind of are, mm. you know, not a whole lot of awareness or exposure here. But the thing that's really amazing about the base is they're in the petroglyph canyons. And Alan, I'll let you, you're the expert on this. So I'm going to let you talk about yeah. the petroglyphs. Yeah. But the fact that the petroglyphs there are in such pristine condition because they're protected by the Navy. That's something that's just really incredible and something that we're really proud of. And so they've branded Ridgecrest the city of the petroglyphs. Yes. And how have they branded it? Well, again, that was something that started with my predecessor and the festival kind of sprang from it. It was about eight or 10 years ago. And it was decided that because our region is so rich in the petroglyphs and rock art and that Native American heritage, that it's really, you know, a major part of our identity as a city. And so my predecessor and other leaders of the community at that time just really went about kind of with the business of branding Ridgecrest as home of the petroglyph or, you know, along those lines. And so from that spring, the petroglyph festival, which I think we'll get more in depth with. But it became the city of the petroglyphs. And what did they do to brand it? I think that you had some art or something like that, right? Right. So up and down the main kind of the main strip in town, it's actually State Highway. And they went about a campaign and did fundraising and brought in a local artist. And so up and down the main boulevard through Ridgecrest in the medians, there is this incredible, these... Their their image their images their sculptures there's pictures there's paintings everything under the sun you can imagine is embellished in the iconography the symbolism the representations and the designs of petroglyphs absolutely <laughs> and so that's rather amazing I don't think there's any place else on earth that I've seen that quite to this effect and then there is a place called. What is it called? Are we talking about Petroglyph Park? Amen, sister. <laughs> Amen. So again. Um, Petroglyph Park? Yeah. Come on. I what know. is that? And it was just, you know, perfect timing all around. The Kern okay. County had a piece of land that they didn't know what to do with. And the leaders of Ridgecrest were, going, we were you know, engulfed in this new identity of Ridgecrest being the town of the petroglyphs. And so they decided to create a park. So it's an actual park with trees and play equipment and everything else dedicated to basically, again, recognizing that heritage and the petroglyphs. And so, again, local artists created these what are sculptures, they? Sculptures. Sculptures. Yeah, sculptures. They're big rocks. They're with huge carvings. rocks. Yeah, carved right. in yep. pictures of the petroglyphs. And I believe it's mimicking the ones that are 
found around our region. And so. Right. Yeah. It's mimicking the ones that are all around the world. And so they have interpretive signs. They've got the images. I mean, I gave tours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> People asked me before the, the Petroglyph Set Festival started, says, oh, can you give us a tour of the park? <laughs> oh, yeah. So, so I walk around the park and every place I look, I can talk about petroglyphs and rock art and indigenous cosmology, the age, the ethnicity, the Native American ceremonial and religious views, on and on. It's all there right. at the park. Right at the park. And it's just a perfect little one stop, you know, to get all of that. We have other a few other experts in the area that love taking people on tours of Petroglyph Park because it's so it's just really cool. And it's something that's very unique and you don't get anything like that in any other city. So, again, another thing that we're really proud of. Yeah. So the festival was developed how many years ago? Eight years ago. This this 2021 will be our eighth year. Wow. Mm-hmm. And who had that idea to do that? So again, that was my predecessor and that same uh-huh. group that just went around <laughs> making us Petroglyph City. It really just was, again, like we were talking about, born of that idea yeah. of how do we really make this a visible part of our identity? We've, we've always known that it existed and it was part of our identity, but how do we highlight that and honor it? And so um, my predecessor and his wife just thought, wouldn't it be great if we could just, you know, have a festival? Okay, well, that sounds fun. What does that mean? You know, what does that look like? And so they worked for probably about a year or so. And those first years were, you know, just kind of what you would think of it. And so over the last eight years, the festival has really evolved into it looks very different than it did in those first few years. So explain to me a bit about the concept of what a Petroglyph Festival would be. It's certainly not like other festivals because other festivals are thematically entwined with usually a food, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, right. But this isn't petroglyphs. You don't eat petroglyphs, do you? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Maybe we would have a creative vendor who would shape it, you know. Right, right, right. So, so how did you, how did you conceptualize what a petroglyph festival would be, and how was that sort of developed? I mean, right. take take me back to its origins and give me sort of an indication of kind of what your thought processes was, yeah. and, and how you well, put it together. Sure. So I mentioned that the early years were looked much different than they do now. And so they were probably um, experimental, weren't they? Absolutely. And the first few years, it was just like, okay, well. We're going to do whatever we need to do to at least get people here, you know. And so there were elements of petroglyphs and rock art and those types of things. But with each passing year, we recognize, okay, you know, this worked, this didn't. This was a really great element that was honoring, you know, this tribe or what, you know, this ritual or, you know, those types of things. And so with each year, we kind of just set the bar a little higher. And with each year, we strive to really get to more authentic, you know, maybe it's a performer or maybe it's a group from a cultural center sharing you know, their songs or their words or their art or whatever it is. So year by year, the, you know, the funnel cakes and the balloons and those things kind of get stripped away. And so here we are in our eighth year 
and we're really honing in. And Alan, this actually, I'll say it, this is thanks to you and kind of your tutelage and the time that you've spent with me and connecting us to really just integral people. But we have, you know, every performer that is at the festival now is representing their culture or their tribe or their dances. And every, we have a much higher volume of Native American vendors selling their art and selling their wares. We do still have the food vendors that you see at other festivals, but that's, you know, we have to eat. And so that's still kind of a fun part of it. But a few years into the festival, we created the Petroglyph Education Foundation. Ah, tell, 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 us, tell us about that. What is that all about? Yeah. So the Petroglyph Education Foundation, it's a sister organization to the Ridgecrest Visitors Bureau, uh-huh. and it works hand in hand in the producing of the Petroglyph Festival. Let's stop there for a minute because I want to delve into that much deeper, but let's, but let's kind of put a cap on this and in the next segment get into both the education and the outreach and sort of the character of the festival vis-a-vis who's there what 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 can we see and what's been done where has it been in the past where was it at recently and where is it headed perfect get you on the flip-flop gang thanks Chris Webster here for the Archaeology Podcast Network. We strive for high-quality interviews and content so you can find information on any topic in archaeology from around the world. One way we do that is by recording interviews with our hosts and guests located in many parts of the world all at once. We do that through the use of Zencaster. That's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R. Zencaster allows us to record high-quality audio with no stress on the guest. Just send them a link to click on, and that's it. Zencaster does the rest. They even do automatic transcriptions. Check out the link in the show notes for 30% percent off your first three months or go to zencastr.com and use the code rockart looking to expand your knowledge of x-rays and imaging in the archaeology field then check out an introduction to paleo radiography a short online course offering professional training for archaeologists and affiliated disciplines created by archaeologist radiographer and lecturer james elliott the content of this course is based upon his research and teaching experience in higher education it is approved by the chartered institute for archaeologists as four hours of training that's in the uk for those of you that don't know so don't miss out on this exciting opportunity for professional and personal development for more information on pricing and course structure, visit paleoimaging.com. That's P-A-L-E-O imaging.com. And look for the link in the show notes to this episode. Welcome back. We're at the second segment of your famous rock art podcast. We're blessed and honored to have Carrie Crutcher, who's the executive director of the Ridgecrest Convention and Visitors Bureau, and also one of the engines behind the world famous Petroglyph Festival. Carrie Crutcher. Hello. Welcome back. So you were talking about this foundation. Yes, the Petroglyph Education Foundation. Well, tell us a bit about that, would you? The Petroglyph Education Foundation works hand in hand with my organization, the Ridgecrest Visitors Bureau. And they also are a major part in producing the Petroglyph Festival. But really, more importantly, what they do is obviously they're all about education. And so we've created a STEM program. And we have docents through the foundation and they go into all of the schools here in in the valley in our region and educate our kids on rock art and the petroglyphs and just this rich culture that we have that 
we don't, I mean, we see it painted on the buildings and in the media and art, like I talked about, but I grew up here and I wasn't really even aware of that rich culture. And so it's really neat that these um, docents take their time and they go into the schools or they have schools come to a museum and they just teach our kids about it. And so that's something that's really neat regarding the festival. How are those activities funded? Are they completely uh, volunteer? Yes, they are. We work in the, the foundation works in conjunction with Matarango Museum that's here mm-hmm. in Ridgecrest. Yeah. And so the museum's docents are the ones who go into the schools and they do that. And so it's funded. It's actually funded through events that we host throughout the year um, as fundraisers. And then those events go towards funding the STEM program and funding the festival. Oh, fantastic. Mm -hmm. So you have uh, people that live in Ridgecrest, I presume, who are avocationalists, who have some background or learn something. And then they go out and meet with the the children, are they? Are they people that are in grammar school or high school or at what level are they really teaching them? So again, just like the festival, the STEM program has been an evolution. And so it is like you say, the majority are retired folks who have a passion for this. A lot of them are highly educated. It started out, they tell the story. Some of, some of this was before my time, but when they started out, they would bring the middle school age kids. I think it was eighth grade. Yeah. And they would invite the kids to the students to the museum and provide lunch. And, you know, everyone at the table, all the leaders thought this was, oh, we're going to knock it out of the park. The kids are going to love it. And one year they talked about the kids were bored and I think they were throwing their apples or some horror story, you know, it was just kind of a disaster. And then, okay, back to the drawing board. So they kind of worked the kinks out in the curriculum. And then also what they did is they invite younger students. So I think they target more of like fifth grade age, uh, mm-hmm. age range. Yeah. And the fifth grade age is much more you know, interested in receiving the lesson than the eighth graders are. So again, just, you know, figuring out what works and what doesn't work, but it's really incredible. And actually my, two of my three kids have been through that program. And so I got to see it. I get to see it from this perspective, but also as from the perspective of a parent. And so it's really cool. They, they do art and they practice throwing at laddles and just different, really, really cool stuff. So it's a lot of fun for the kids. So a lot of it's interactive and absolutely hands on and and it's it's fun. It sounds like it's a lot of fun. It is. So that's remarkable. Yeah. And and then the festival is conducted uh how is it marketed? How what's the public relations and what would uh you know, where have you been with this in terms of its incipient nature where it began and then maybe talk about the the steps that were taken slow but sure to bring it to where it's moving right now. I remember, you know, back when I think I've been in active in every one of these since its inception, but I remember it was it was rather modest at its beginnings, wasn't it? Yes, definitely. It's grown in size and kind of our footprint actually. It started on um, just locationally kind of the um, main street in let's call it old town Ridgecrest, you know, yeah. shops up and down the street and the, and mm-hmm. everything like that. And so we outgrew that. 
And also we wanted, we were limited there. When you're on a street like that with shops on either side, you're kind of limited to what you can provide. And so just in Ridgecrest, we moved it now to one of the city streets. It's actually in, sits in front of Matarango Museum, like I spoke about. And so we actually take up the full block now. And so we're able to incorporate Matarango Museum. There's also another museum right next door, which is the China Lake Museum. And they're able to participate in a few different ways. And then we put the vendors in the street. And we also have a stage where we feature exclusively Native American performers. So we've had the the Ram dancers from the Grand Canyon. They've joined us two years in a row. They're actually coming back again this year. We've had... Native American bird singers, someone who sings sheep's bighorn sheep songs. Last year, we had someone who sang the national anthem in the Cherokee language. And so just neat stuff like that, that we're able to feature. And now that we we have more real estate, we're able to expand those experiences. Um, Another thing that was really neat as far as that goes was on the property of the Matarango Museum last year, we invited a cultural center and they came and did an agave roast. Do you remember that, Alan? Yep. Yep. The yeah. native foods. They right. actually ro- roasted the native agave and they did it in a, 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 a pit. Mm-hmm. So it roasted it. They were, I think they were there for 24 or 48 hours and everybody rushed to taste it. And it was tasted like sweet potatoes and it was absolutely wonderful. Yeah, it was really neat. They, they came and dug the pit early. And then um, I think we put it in 24 hours before and then we timed it so that it was like, you know, two o'clock the next day on Saturday. So we knew we would have, you know, our attendees um, and then everyone gathered around and they shared the ceremony and then we all kind of shared the agave. So it was just really neat. So those are the types of things where like in the beginning, it was more of a street fair, but now it's more of a, a time that we can share those authentic experiences. And mm-hmm. we're constantly looking at new ways to do that, new people to involve to do that. So we're continuing to grow in that way. And I know that uh, at least over the time that I've been with the festival and experienced it, occasionally Native people, groups themselves, give lectures or presentation trying to share a bit about their heritage and their history. Am I correct? Absolutely. And again, that's that's another educational role of the Educational Foundation. They facilitate that. We've several years in a row, we were able to host a speakers forum and we do that inside the Matarango Museum, completely in conjunction with the festival. And so we have been able to highlight several speakers from some of the surrounding tribes and others in our area. And so that's something that's really popular. And again, just adds to that education. You know, that's why we're here. And so that's why we do this. So just that I keep saying it, but just another authentic element. So that's something that is very important. And we're trying to hold on to that. COVID has thrown a wrench in all of the things, you know, which we all know. But so we're not exactly sure what the speakers forum will look like for 2021. We're still kind of working through that. But it's definitely an important part of the festival. Well, what's been interesting sort of as a, you know, an academician, someone who uh, teaches and studies and research, etc., that on the base, of course, is the largest concentration of prehistoric rock drawings 
in the entire Western Hemisphere, which is remarkable, yes. unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And that's in like a hundred square miles area. And through the Matarango or through the California Rock Art Foundation or other means, one can experience that uh, rock art and see it. And so that's amazing unto itself. Now, one thing about the about Ridgecrest and about the theme of this function is that Ridgecrest and the Coso rock art, Coso means steam or fire, and that's what the name of the mountain range is that most of these rock art pictures are engraved on. They're depictions of bighorn sheep. <laughs> and, and so uh, one would think, you know, it, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could connect with some sort of a cultural element, native person who uh, perceives some significance for bighorn sheep? Well, that was an interesting exercise in terms of attempting to do so. Yes. And, and after several years of trying and attempting and, and trying to figure out the way to do it, what happened? Tell us the story. So I assume you're speaking of 2019? Was, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you're exactly right. We tried for several years and finally we were able to connect with Mr. Ernest Siva from the, help me with the name, Dorothy. Yeah. Dorothy Ramon Learning Center. Uh-huh. Right. And so um, I connected with him finally and invited him to um, share those songs at the Petroglyph Festival. And it was it was quite a process. <laughs> and so sure. finally he agreed and, you know, everything was great and we were really excited. And we had an excellent lineup of, you know, the Native Americans for the, the whole thing. And and then that was it was 2019 when we had such a bad wildfire season. Right. And so he we were keeping in touch, you know, he was going to try and make it. And then just right at the last minute. I think that they were under evacuation or maybe close to it. And so he wasn't able to attend. And so that was really disappointing. But I don't know, Alan, if I've told you this yet. For 2021, we again were working with Mr. Siva and he isn't able to make it. But he introduced us to Kim Marcus. Mm -hmm. And he has agreed to join us this year. So um, we're really excited to have him. And maybe you could kind of share a little bit. I think you probably are more familiar with his expressions than I. Well, Ernie Siva is one of those rare birds that is a, um, a descendant of both the Serrano and the Cahuilla. And those are uh, California Indian groups that live around the area of Banning and Riverside and even into the Palm Springs area. And when I first met Ernie I uh, went out to his facility in Banning, Old Banning, and I walked in, and every place I saw was a picture of bighorn sheep and Koso-style bighorn. And I go, Ernie, I'm not in the Kosos. What's going on here? He says, well, I, my heritage is I'm, I'm a desert Serrano, and we believe that we, were, we came from and are connected through kinship ties to a bighorn sheep animal person. And by the way, I sing bighorn sheep songs. And I go, what? (laughs) (laughs) I was shocked. I had never, ever heard of this ever. And I've been studying this stuff for 40, 50 years. And so 
this was uh, quite a quite a discovery. Yeah. And and then uh, he had said that he was uh, mentoring a few people because he wanted to, you know, pass on the uh, knowledge that he has in terms of these songs. And he even has a booklet where I think he published half a dozen songs. And I said, well, this is wonderful. He said, well, those are only part of the songs. There's about at least another dozen of them I didn't even include in there. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so he has quite an inventory of bighorn sheep songs. And I believe these must be some of the rarest songs that have been preserved for hundreds, if not thousands of years that are available for us to hear and listen to and learn about. So there's that one. He also is a you know fluent speaker in the language of Serrano. So this was just a joy to connect with. The same thing went for, our, of course, our friends, the Ram Dancers. Yes. And what's that all about? Oh, gosh. The Ram Dancers are. <laughs> what a treasure that is, let me tell you. So tell <laughs> the Ram Dancers, I connected with them in 2018, it must have been. Again, just from Alan, our, our talks and your connection, you know, and the Ram Dancers are not easy to get in, in touch with. And so why, um, why, why is that? Well, because they live at the in the base of the Grand Canyon. <laughs> who, who lives in the base of the, the Grand Canyon? Okay, now you're testing me. So no, the, no, no. I'm Havasupai, I mean, really. right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know the thing, and we'll get into the Ram Dancers, but I've got to say the thing to me, one of the things that is so fascinating to me about their group is the fact that they live in this like dual. I don't know, environment. They live such a, you know, traditional life there down in the Grand Canyon. But to get out, you know, like to come to something like the Petroglyph Festival, they literally have to take a helicopter. And yep. so it's just very fascinating to me where modern life meets their traditional way of living. And it's so fascinating to hear them share their stories. And I just remember being blown away when they were talking about their Village is that the correct word? I would call it, it a village. It yeah. Let's let's stop there. Okay. We're gonna we're gonna give you a cliffhanger. Yeah. And we're gonna we'll talk about the Ram Dancers and the discovery of the Ram Dancers and what they're all about on the next segment. See you in the flip flop gang. You may have heard my pitch for membership. It's a great idea and really helps out. However, you can also support us by picking up a fun t-shirt, sticker, or something from a large selection of items from our tea Public store. Head over to arcpodnet.com slash shop for a link. That's arcpodnet.com slash shop to pick up some fun swag and support the show. Welcome back to the Rock Art Podcast. This is the third and final segment of the uh, Rock Art Podcast this is uh, episode 49, and we have Carrie Crutcher, executive director of the Ridgecrest Convention and Visitors Bureau, and uh, one of the principal engines to create the world's only Petroglyph Festival out of Ridgecrest, California, first weekend in November. Carrie, we were talking about the fabulous Ram dancers. Yes. And, and we just begun to sort of scratch the surface how the heck did you find them and how the heck did you connect with them given they are so they live in an almost an inaccessible area? 
you sent me on a wild goose chase and gave me <laughs> a list of phone numbers. Honestly, in 2018, that is the way that we connected. If you remember, you know, you recommended I try and contact a few different people. And then I don't know if you recall any of those or any of their connections, but that's basically how we did it is just I picked up the phone and I started making calls and one call would lead to another. And the response was, well, I think maybe I could, you know, <laughs> I, I, I know so, so-and-so's yeah, cousin chain. and um, right, right. So it was a yeah, month long process. Now did, do they yeah. have phones down there that work? Do they have actual cell um, phones or satellite phones or anything? No. So I, uh, I don't want to say the wrong thing because now it, you know, yeah. it's been yeah. since 2019 and we're actually right. working through this now, but um, I do know that they have email. Their okay. connectivity is very spotty yeah. and I do receive a phone call every now and again. And I don't know where they call from, but it's kind of on their terms and their timing, you know, so that kind yeah. of leads me to believe that their service again is really limited. And how many, how many people live down there? Do you know? Is it I a, don't, I don't. It's not, Do you it's, know? Not a, it's not a large village. No. And I know that when they, when they come, they bring everybody <laughs> they yeah, bring yeah. like 10 or 11 people, right? They absolutely do. The, um, <laughs> we, we've assisted them in, in getting here. And so they're, from, they're in Arizona, obviously at the Grand Canyon, right. but yeah. it's quite a trek. And so one time they came in like a small bus and then I think the second year they had two big passenger vans. And so it's really neat. I, I think some of them are actually blood relation, you know, relatives, yeah, and then the yeah. rest are just friends and tribal members. And so they come and they're just so gracious. And I'm actually really excited because the first year that they were here, 2018, they had just remember the little, I just called him the baby. He was maybe yes, yes, a year yes. old. Yeah, just barely yeah. walking. Oh, yeah. And they barely walking. Him, yeah. He had a little, his little, you know, uh, yeah. clothing that matched and it was yeah, just so sweet. And then the next year they came back and he was a year older. So I was just telling my colleague, I said, remember the baby? He's going to be so big. So it's just been fun over the years to just kind of develop that relationship and watch them grow. Yeah. And they bring they bring the men, the women and the children of various Absolutely. ages. And they're all dressed in elaborate and colorful regalia, including those that wear the horns of the big horned sheep, right. uh, a, a particular representation of those songs and of those dances and of those thoughts and prayers. And they are the real deal, aren't they? Yes, absolutely. So these are people that also believe that they have a kindred spirit and a relationship to the bighorn animal person that has uh, helped them through their lives and blessed them uh, living in the bottom of the Grand Canyon. And that's rather remarkable. So you say when they, when they get out there, they have to leave in a helicopter, correct? Right. Wow. Mm -hmm. It's quite a, um, it's quite a story, you know, the helicopter to get out of the Grand Canyon and then, you know, to drive all that way. It's just, I don't know. It's a lot of effort, but they're really interested in sharing their songs and their stories. And so they make the trek. And so I think we're going to have them back this year. It looks like they're going to be able to make it. Well, that's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. And 
I imagine that their signature look is so remarkable and so different from anything I've ever seen. And so, you know, akin to being authentic, that it's rather impressive. Don't you agree? Absolutely. It always, yeah, impressive is the word. And you're right. It's just not like really anything you've ever seen. I think we kind of have the vision in our head of what these things look like or what we've seen in TV on, you know, in movies and on TV, but they're the real deal. And a crowd always gathers when they're dancing or do saying their prayers. It's, it's really remarkable. And like you said, they're very, very gracious, wonderful people, very hospitable. And they'll, they'll talk with you and share their, their background and their life with you. It's really amazing. Really, really amazing. Yes, it is. So that's one part of the festival. You have the, the dances and the songs. What else is there to do at the Ridgecrest Petroglyph Festival? We have the dances, we have the songs, we have the speakers forum, which takes place in the museum. Matarango Museum is really an important part of the festival as well. And so we're super appreciative that they open their doors and they host um, speakers and guests. And it's really a, a team effort when we get together to do the festival. In addition to the speakers and the performers, like I said, we have the vendors and that's really neat. We love to highlight um, their artwork and the artifacts that they have and just really neat things there that they have to yeah. offer. Yeah. So so what kind of vendors are there there in terms of what can some people see with respect to art? What can they eat? What can they, uh, you know, what can they hear or see at the festival? What's some of the biggest sort of takeaways or the direction you're taking the festival? Because I know there's multiple kind of different things going on during this festival period. How many people show up? That has varied over time. In 2019, that was our biggest year in footprint and in attendees. We worked closely with the police department during the festival. They provided our security and they estimated over the course of the weekend, between 10 and 15,000 people. And oh my so, word. yeah, I had no idea. I didn't think it was that much. I was really shocked by that. Also, I knew that we were busy. You know, I was there working. I yeah. knew there were a lot of people, but what that meant exactly, I didn't know. And so they were, they were tracking that. And so that's just incredible to me. And that was our sixth year. So in six short years, we've grown this much and, not just grown in numbers and frivolous things, you know, grown in, yeah. in all the right ways. So generally on a normal year, we have performers, speakers. We uh, usually are providing the petroglyph tours to Little Pet Canyon and those on base. Unfortunately, yeah. this year that that isn't able to, to take place. But the festival is located just right next door to Petroglyph Park. So exactly. I think you and I were talking about, we'll just do tours at Petroglyph yeah, we'll Park. we'll do tours at Petroglyph Park, yeah. exactly. Next and best thing. Yeah, there's a lot to say and a lot to see and a lot to understand, even at the Matarango Museum itself, because it's such a treasure. I've been, Absolutely. I've been visiting and lecturing at the Matarango Museum for most of my adult life. I've been going back there for decades. And so it's, it's sort of an anchor for the... Um, those that have a passion for the natural and cultural history of the area. 
And Indian Wells Valley in Ridgecrest is just very, very rich with respect to this tapestry of native cultures, archaeology, prehistory, natural history, endlessly engaging, as I would call it. So it's a wonder to be there and um, just a wonderful place to uh, experience, don't you think? Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. So that's what that's what makes makes it a draw. So what would someone do there if they went there? I guess are, are there are there lodging available always or or does it sell out or how does that work? Right. So the the beauty of Ridgecrest is I you know, I mentioned that we're rural and we are I'll say isolated. We're a little off the beaten path just because of the nature of our history and and everything, but people often don't realize that we all we are a full service city, and so we have a hospital, we have restaurants, we have name brand stores, um, and we do have uh, we have fifteen hotels actually, which is often surprising. So, you know, from Motel Six to a Marriott, we've got it to kind of <laughs> fit your whatever your preference is. So. During the festival weekend, we do generally, we don't sell out completely, but we do, you know, the town gets full. Our hotels do get full. I don't have concern that we'll sell out, but definitely I would say if people are interested, they can go to our website, which is rpfestival.com. And that gives a lot of information on the festival. And it'll also kind of link you to other resources within Ridgecrest if you were ever to consider visiting. Yeah. And when, and when they come there and they spend the weekend at the festival and related activities, what are some of the most fun things you've heard people do at the festival or nearby? The festival weekend, you know, in a small town, you just have that community that you don't have in bigger cities. And we have that in Ridgecrest. And so the whole town kind of comes together and there's a lot of different things to do. We, of course, have the festival, which will be going on for two days. Um, on Saturday night, our downtown area is hosting a wine walk. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. There's, you know, our historic district usually opens up and has little events taking place there. So it's kind of like everybody just opens the doors and wow. hosts a little party. And so you can just kind of roam around and there's stuff to do. The other thing that's really great about the time of year we have the festival. So it's the first weekend of November and the weather here is just perfect. And so there's a lot of outdoor activities in the area, hiking and, you know, biking and those types of things. So the weather is always spectacular that time of year. So I think that that's a huge draw for those outdoorsy adventurers. So there's a lot to do during that time. Well, Carrie, we're kind of in ending the uh, third segment, what do you, what would you say as sort of a, um, a reflection or something that hits you as the most interesting and remarkable thing you could talk about living this odyssey of the <laughs> Ridgecrest Petroglyph Festival throughout your, the last several years? What do you think the, um, the tug is for people to come and participate and see and understand more about what you're offering? So I'll answer two parts there. I shared before that I didn't have a background in archaeology or in any of this. So I think that the fact that 
I and my colleagues just really dove into this and the fact that we've been able to grow it in, in such a way where we, we really have something now that's not just a street fair. It's something that's really authentic and that we can share these really just really cool experiences with our guests. To me, that's something really to be proud of. And so I'm really proud of where the festival is is and where we are heading. I think that we have a lot of good years ahead of us. And then again, the draw, there's nothing else like this, like you said. So who's ever heard of a petroglyph festival? <laughs> so, you know, and we really have people from all around that have interest, I mean, internationally, honestly. And wow. so it's just such a unique thing, especially if you can um, go on a tour and see the actual petroglyphs. So we just offer such a unique experience that weekend. And I think that that in itself is enough to, to make the trek and come experience it. Well, that's, that's about all the time we have for today, but I'm honored and blessed to have heard from Carrie Crutcher and sort of reflecting and chatting about this odyssey of the petroglyph festival and the Ridgecrest rock art scene Come out, uh, you guys, and, and give it a try. I think you'll, I think you'll like it. I think you'll enjoy it, and I think you'll be very, very surprised about the uh, the nature and quality and the the background and the enrichment that you'll share when you go to the Ridgecrest Petroglyph Festival. That's about it for tonight. I'll sign off and say uh, God bless, and see you next week on the Flip Flop. Thanks for listening to the Rock Art Podcast with Dr. Alan Garfinkel and Chris Webster. Find show notes and contact information at www.arcpodnet.com forward slash rock art. Thanks for listening and thanks for sharing this podcast with your family and friends. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV Traveling America, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks again for listening to this episode and for supporting the Archaeology Podcast Network. If you want these shows to keep going, consider becoming a member for just $7.99 US dollars a month. That's cheaper than a venti quad eggnog latte. Go to archpodnet.com slash members for more info. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. <laughs>